All right, how y'all doing? Good, good. I am doing well. Glad to be here tonight. Um, so, if you have a Bible, get your Bible out because we're doing a Bible study tonight. Hey, um, we have been doing these parables the last couple weeks, and I am really excited to be able to look at Luke 15 because some of the most famous parables that Jesus has taught um, is found uh, in this chapter. Um, but, uh, but to kind of get us warmed up a little bit and kind of thinking down the right path where we need to be going, um, I want you to think about some things that you're celebrating. Okay, some things that you're celebrating. Uh, we just had a big celebration, you know, for the ministry I work with, uh, Safe Families for Children. Uh, we just had our, we celebrated our 15th anniversary um, just this last Friday night. Um, I was up in Chicago for a few days. Uh, we did a conference. Uh, and Friday night, um, we brought about eight, 900 people together at a church up in Glenview. We had a big national speaker. Uh, Bob Goff came and was our keynote speaker. We had Vertical Worship Band do worship for us that night. We do a lot of their songs here, so the Vertical Worship was there. We had testimonies. We had videos. Uh, you know, that was talking about some things that have happened from all over the world. I mean, we're in like four countries. And so it was a tremendous night of celebration, you know, for the work that God has been doing through Safe Families. And, and uh, you know, so, but I think about it, you know, that's a big thing, but there's everyday things that we take joy in that we can celebrate. So I just love to hear a couple of you. Is there anything that anybody is celebrating this week? Our anniversary is Sunday, 42 years. 42 years anniversary, that's awesome. Great cause for celebration. What else? Someone else got something to celebrate? Big or small, doesn't matter. How about that? 18 years following Jesus. Beautiful. Anybody else? Somebody else. Terry. There you go. There you go. Look, there's a lot of things to celebrate, isn't there? There's a ton of things to celebrate. You know, the more we practice joy, the more we practice celebration, the more we are in touch with Jesus in the heart of God, I think. And that's what I think a lot of what we're going to find out tonight. You know, there's a lot of common things that we celebrate, right? We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate birthdays. Uh, we celebrate spiritual birthdays. We celebrate baptisms here at the church. I celebrate greatly when the Cardinals lose and the Cubs win. Right? Yeah, there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a ton. There's, the Bears won a Monday night football game this week. I mean, there's a lot of things, big and small, common, uncommon, that we celebrate. You know, my 13-year-old boy, like, just, you know, offered thankfulness to me yesterday over just a small act that I did. I'm like, dude, you're 13, and you just kind of turned around and came to your senses and said thank you without being like, hey, what should you say? That's a big reason to celebrate, right? I mean, all this kind of stuff. So, listen, the parables that we're looking at tonight, um, you know, these are, it's kind of true with all the parables, but the parables that we're looking at tonight, um, we can get easily sidetracked if we try to dive too deep on symbolism and who represents whom and what and all that kind of stuff, okay? Now, we're going to talk about some of that because some of it is pertinent, um, but... What we need to do more than anything tonight is keep the big picture in mind of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Because Jesus is communicating one major idea through all these parables, and that's what I want us to really look at. So, you know, really, when we look at the parables in Luke 15, here's what they're all about, okay? I'm going to tell you what they're all about right now. And then we're going to talk about them for about an hour almost. But I'm going to just tell you in one sense what they're all about. So ushers, lock the doors so people don't leave after this one sentence. Right? The parables in Luke 15 are about the joy of finding lost things. That's what they're about. They're about finding the joy. The, you know, they're about the joy of finding lost things. Whether it's a sheep, whether it's a coin, whether it's a son, 
The thread that runs through every story tonight is the thread of joy and celebration. That's what we're going to really look at. Um, before we go any farther, let's stop, let's pray, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight, because that's his job. I'm just an understudy to him. Um, but let's go before the Lord and, uh, and pray. Father God, man, we thank you so much. I mean, this is a, this is a point of celebration, that we can gather together tonight, that we can be your body, we can be your bride, and we can open your word and we can learn from your words, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit that you have given us will lead us into all truth. Man, and that is, that's a privilege. That, man, if there's anything to celebrate, is that we as mere humans get to have such intimacy and connection and have our identity and our salvation, everything that's Anything that's good about us is you. And we celebrate that and we take joy in that. So Lord, I pray that you just would be with me, that I would only say the words that you want me to say. Uh, Lord, that, that, that as we look in your, your word, that, that we would be illuminated to its truth. Lord, that it would read back onto us and greatly affect how we live our lives, that we may glorify you in all that we think, say, and do for your glory and for the good of everybody that we come into contact with. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to spend a, a little bit of time on the first two verses before the parables even start. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Um, Jesus' purpose, you know, for, this, for, for his message of finding joy, the joy of finding lost things, Jesus' purpose comes from the first two verses because in these first two verses we learn the context and we learn the audience. And when you're looking at the parables of Jesus, it's very important that we understand the context of which he's in and his audience of whom he's speaking to. Because Jesus never tells a story for no particular reason. He was the most intentional person to ever walk the face of the earth. Okay? He is being intentional in communicating truth and intentional in bringing conviction to his hearers based on the situation he's in and the audience that he is directing the parable to, okay? So like I said, we're going to have a good old-fashioned Bible study tonight. So I hope you have your Bible. If not, I hope you have some kind of device or phone. If not, please grab a pen. You know, get, if you haven't gotten a note sheet, get that. Take notes. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you really want a Bible, I know we got some lying around here somewhere. And if you want a really nice Bible, go to the Lost and Found. You'll find a leather one in there. Okay? I'm glad some people laughed at that. That's, that's one of my go-to jokes. Okay. So, um, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, let's stop there. Because here's what we find out right away in verse 1. We learn about the attractiveness of Jesus. The attractiveness of Jesus. Now, there's two types of people that are pointed out here in verse 1. They are what? Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners, okay? This is, this is an open book quiz, okay? Just read the Bible and you'll know the answers. Okay, two groups of people that are being pointed out right now, tax collectors and sinners. Basically, what this is communicating is Jesus, who's coming around him, who he hangs out with quite often, is the worst and the worst of the worst. That's what this means. Tax collectors and sinners. You see, sinners, these are the people that we, like, think about a lot. When we kind of think of sinners, these are the liars, these are the drunks, these are the prostitutes, the outcasts, all those types of people that we would label sinners. And then you got tax collectors, and they are a special type of sinners, okay? They always got kind of singled out. Tax collectors, these guys were 
traitors is really kind of the best word I can give to them right now. So these were traitors. They, um, you know, they were, they, were, they were Jews, but they were working for the Roman government. Their, their job was, was to collect taxes, but they really weren't, you know, uh, they were to collect a certain amount for the Roman government, but that wasn't all they collected if you follow where I'm going, okay? So they were taken and then taken more. Hated, hated people. Worst and worst of the worst. So the, the, what we see right away here is that these tax collectors and sinners, the worst and the worst of the worst, are the people who are hanging out with Jesus. And what were they doing? They were all what? They were all drawing near. They were drawing near. Now, what is it about Jesus that draws these types of people? Yeah, I mean, you think about it. You, you, you read this. You've you got to ask yourself that question. What is it about Jesus that drew them? Well, verse 2 actually tells us. And because it's, some, it's one thing that the Pharisees and the scribes were talking about. Verse 2 tells us is that one big reason that they were drawn to Jesus is because Jesus received them and ate with them. He received them and he ate with them. Listen, when Jesus came into contact with the worst and the worst of the worst, he loved them. He didn't judge them. He embraced them. He wasn't afraid to touch them. He wasn't afraid to talk to them. He welcomed them. I mean, why wouldn't they be drawn to a guy like that, right? Everybody else in society, especially the religious folk, didn't want anything to do with them and had a bad word to say about them all the time. So of course they were drawn. Now listen, we talk a lot in the church about receiving Jesus, right? We receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus receives us, though? I mean, really, isn't that the bigger truth that's going on? Jesus receives us. Jesus receives the sinful into the holy. He receives the worst and the worst of the worst into the best and the best of the best, into the holy, holy, holy. Man, that's a, you do want to talk about something to celebrate. Let's celebrate that, that Jesus receives us into him. That's a great thing. And listen, Colossians 3, 3, I love the first few verses of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 3, this isn't in your notes for anything, you can write it down. Colossians 3, 3, 3 says your life is hidden with Christ in God. He has received us into himself through faith in Jesus. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, that's good news. So we see this whole uh, reception, communion, eating with them. You know, they're sharing meals together. Jesus is also a very humble man. He's a humble man. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about the humility of Jesus. You know, that Jesus set his deserved majesty aside is what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. He set his deserved majesty aside and he wrapped himself up in flesh and came down and hung out with us, right? You know, there's this quote that everyone thinks C.S. Lewis said, but C.S. Lewis didn't say it. Um, It's kind of like the telephone game, but it's a great quote. It's a true quote. The quote is, it's about humility, about what humility really is. Humility, here's the quote, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You catch that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, poor me, I'm not that great. No, it's not that. It's thinking of yourself less. Well, how does that, how does that jive with Jesus? Well, Jesus came as a servant. That's how it lines up with who he is. He came to serve. He came to show us the way. He came to, to walk the paths that we all walk. Okay? Here, here's the thing, okay? First whiteboard of the night. All right. So, you know, you have these two opposites, right? You have pride and you have humility. And here's the thing with pride. 
Pride always repels. It'll always push people. People don't want to hang out with prideful people, do you? Right? You don't want to hang out with prideful people. But the thing with humility, humility always attracts. Always attracts. Pride repels. Humility attracts. These Pharisees, these scribes that's talked about in the story, very prideful people. No one really wanted to hang out with them except for people like them. But Jesus, man, he was attractive, wasn't he? People wanted to hang out with Jesus. So the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to do what? To, what's the next, what's the next phrase in verse 1? To hear him. To hear him. So what made Jesus' words so compelling and attractive? You see this? I told, I told you, we're doing Bible study tonight. What made Jesus' words so compelling? We know that Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says Jesus taught with authority. So that made his words so compelling and attractive is that he taught with authority. Jesus also leveled the playing field. So listen, he can hang out with a really rich guy. He can, out, he can hang out with a real poor, the poor guy. And he's going to love them the same and tell them the same message. Right? So he leveled the playing field. So people didn't feel judged around him. They didn't feel their social class around Jesus. And his words were full of truth. His words were full of grace. His words were full of mercy. His words were full of Love. You see, people found life in his words, even in the midst of words that were correcting and convicting to them. They still found life. You know why? Because of this. You see how this all wraps up together? So that's what we find in verse 1. Let's get verse 2, okay? Um, remember, we're talking about context and audience right now. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes, what did they do? What's the word? Grumbled. They were offended, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we find the offense of the religious leaders in verse 2. Verse 1, the attractiveness of Jesus. Verse 2, the offense of the religious leaders. You see, here's what the Pharisees, the scribes, other religious leaders, you'll, hear this, you'll read this term, Sadducees. That was another group of them. But these religious leaders, the, law, the lawyers, right? You know, these are all religious leaders. They are basically offended by everybody who isn't like them. That's who they're offended by, right? So in our story, and I don't know where my eraser is, so I'm going to use some tissues here, and hopefully this works okay. Okay, so there, there's, there's, there's kind of three main groups of people that the Pharisees, the scribes, religious leaders are offended by, right? We know they're offended by sinners. We've been talking about that already. They're offended by sinners. Um, they're offended by Gentiles, like all the Romans, those guys that kind of were occupying their land at the time. They're offended by sinners. They're offended by Gentiles. And they're mostly offended by Jesus, aren't they? I mean, when you read the Gospels about these guys, this is who really kind of gets them a little stirred up, okay? Um, now, we look at Jesus because he received everybody, no matter where they came from or what they were guilty of, and we should all be taking a big sigh of relief right now because we all know the junk in our life, don't we? Because Jesus receives everybody, no matter where they came from or what they were guilty of, he receives the tax collector. He receives the sinner. He receives the zealot. He receives the poor. He receives the Roman soldiers. He received the unclean. He even received the Pharisees, didn't he? couple guys in particular. Nicodemus, you heard of him? Joseph of Arimathea, you heard of him? They were part of the Pharisees, everybody. So listen, we talk about Jesus loving the, leveling the playing field. Jesus receives anybody who's hungry for God, who knows they got something missing in their life. That's who Jesus loves. That's who Jesus receives. Now, 
when we talk about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and we look at this thing about them, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumble their offense, this is the best way to spot a Pharisee. Because they're still walking around today. I sure hope none of you are like one of these folks. Because here's how you, you, spot, you spot a Pharisee like this. They have a disapproving word and attitude about anything that doesn't line up with their own opinion. That's how you spot a Pharisee. They are quick to disapprove of an attitude, of a word, anything about somebody else that doesn't line up with how they think it should go. You should live your Christian life this way. You should think exactly like this because this is how I think. You see, it's all about them and how they have done this. Listen, you know, there was this huge gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, around like 400 years. That's when this group during that time rose up. You know, God was this, it was the silent 400 years. God was not speaking in a revelatory way to any prophets or anything. And so the, that's, that's the time of history where the, where the Pharisees were one group that rose up during that time, and they just began to tack on rule and rule and rule and rule and rule and rule and rule. And they took a rule, and they made it like, you know, they made like 300 bullet points underneath the one rule. It's crazy. I mean, who can do that? No one can do that. And so they add things on top of what's already there. Last I read the Bible, God said, you better be careful not to add anything to my word. Right? So the challenge to us, the caution to us, is that if we are not careful and repentant, when we begin to think that way and speak that way and treat other people in that way, being disapproving, grumbling, because, not because it's like, listen, if someone is really living against what God's word says, I mean, why should we be offended about that? I mean, shouldn't we like lovingly talk to them? And want to lead them into the truth? I mean, right? I mean, if, they're, if we're offended, I mean, it's really all about us now. So if we're not careful and repentant, when that starts coming up in our lives, our own grumbling will quickly turn into condemnation, just like the Pharisees did to sinners, to Gentiles, to Jesus. I don't want to be in that guy's group. That's not a gang I want to be a part of. So we look at this. The first two verses are massively important for us to understand why Jesus tells the parables that he does. We learn the context. The context, sinners are being drawn to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. And we learn the audience. The parables are told to the Pharisees and the scribes. And everybody else listens in that was there. Jesus directed these three stories that we're going to read to the religious leaders. That is what he's doing. So what Jesus wants us, them to learn and all of us to learn is that if we ever grumble about a sinner, the issue isn't the sin in the sinner. The issue is the joy of salvation that we have. That's the issue that's going on here. Okay, we had our eye off the ball. Listen, if your personal, listen to me, if your personal satisfaction is in your devout or moral lifestyle, let me say that again. Your personal satisfaction in a devout or moral lifestyle is meaningless without the pure joy of seeing God find someone who is lost. What do you hang your hat on as a Christian? Do you hang your hat on how well you live your Christian life? Because if you do, you are resembling a Pharisee more than Jesus. That is my word of caution to you tonight. If your thoughts, when someone comes to Christ... If your thoughts go anywhere near, well, I'm glad they found Jesus so they can get their life together now. 
do you hear what you just did? You're being more like a Pharisee than Jesus. Listen, the point of salvation is not to have a cleaned up life. That's not the point of salvation. The point of salvation is about a dead soul coming alive. That's the point of salvation. Having someone's eternity in the hands of Christ. Bought and paid for by his blood. Something that was lost is now found. That's the point of salvation. That's the point of joy. Now listen, the daily sanctification, getting that life cleaned up, will only come, will only come if we keep our eyes set on eternity with our Savior. You guys follow me? That's why Jesus was so attractive. It's like, listen, it's not get your life cleaned up and come to Jesus or come to Jesus to get your life cleaned up. Get your life, come to Jesus because you're dead and you need a Savior. You need to be plucked out of the pit of hell and go and, and have a heaven to look forward to. That's what we're, let's get our eyes on the right prize, everybody. And then you know what? Everything else will come along the way. Listen, we don't need to help the Holy Spirit do his job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict of sin and lead to truth. We encourage, we support. Listen, but we, let's, let's make sure we don't get our own carts before the horse. You, you guys got me? All right. All right, I told you we're going to spend a lot of time on the first two verses because it's really important. Now let's look at the first two parables. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. Um, these are known as like the twin parables, okay? Um, we're going to read them all together, and we're going to stop before we get to the, to the third one. So Jesus, Jesus goes on. Jesus begins to say, So remember, verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then it goes in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right? So listen. In response to the Pharisees grumbling, he tells the parables. Now, in these two parables, being lost means two things. It means wandering away from the flock. That's the first way that loss is defined by the first parable. Wandering away from the flock. The second meaning of lost, according to the parables, is being misplaced. The coin was misplaced. It was in the house, but it wasn't where it was supposed to be. Okay? So, wandering away from the flock, being misplaced. That's the context for being lost in these parables. Now, let's look at the parable of the lost sheep. Let's look at this. There's a few things I want to point out that are noteworthy about this parable. The first is this. Each individual has value. Each individual has value. Jesus left the 99 to go find the one. Every person has value. It would be, you know, you, we can kind of make an argument, okay, if we're looking at like doing a cost-benefit analysis, right? 99 would be heavier, would be more important than one. But not in God's economy. Okay, so every person has value. We should have the same outlook that God does. 
um, we also need to point out this, is that, listen, he wasn't, this man was not being a bad shepherd by leaving the 99. Because the flock, the safety of the flock was secure. The safety of the flock was secure. Now, Jesus just says a man. There's probably maybe, you know, typically with, with shepherds, there's more than just one of them. There's usually a couple of them, right? So he left him in the open country where a place where they were going to be safe, and that's when he left and the lost was sought out. So the safety of the flock was secure and the lost was sought out. All right? This is why, you know, we make a really big deal and point to do things like this. We want you guys to be secure. We want you guys to be equipped. We want you to know God's word, know who you are in him, know how, how, how he would desire for you to glorify him with your life. You know, because then when, the more you get secured in doing that and safe in doing that, it allows, it allows us to go out and to seek out those who are lost who need to be in here. You see where I'm going? Okay? So, um, and here's the other thing that we could point out about this parable. Those who are lost can't find their way back on their own. Kind of lost by definition, right? If you could find your way back, you're, you're, you're not lost. But we need to really emphasize this point. Those who are lost can't find their way back on their own. You know, I mean, the, the man went and sought out the sheep to find the sheep. Just like Jesus, you know, it says to him, you know, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. Right? And then even when the man found the sheep, did he have a shepherd's crook with him and kind of nudging the sheep back along to back where the flock was? Is that what he did? What did he do? Picked the sheep up and did what? Carried him on his shoulders. Man, do you guys understand that your journey in becoming a Christ follower and Jesus saving you, do you realize Jesus was doing a fireman's carry with you on his shoulders? When you walk that aisle, you weren't, if you, if you walked, if you walked an aisle, you didn't walk that aisle. Jesus carried you down that aisle is what he did. Okay? You know, and listen, we need to give the same type of care to people who are lost. We need to be patient with them. We got to be willing to bear some burdens with them. Carry them some of the way, right? Whatever we need to do. And then the last thing we could point out is the joy and celebration of finding what was lost has the greatest emphasis in the parable. That has the greatest emphasis. The joy and celebration of finding what was lost is the biggest deal. And this celebration was a communal event, right? He's calling all of his buddies. Hey, we're having a party because I found my sheep. My flock is full again, like it's supposed to be, all right? So it was a communal thing. It wasn't just him. Why is this such a big point of celebration? Here's why. You guys might have heard me say this before because I love saying this. Listen, redemption is the greatest work that God does. Redemption is the greatest work that God does. So if redemption is the greatest work that God does... The celebration of one being redeemed is super justified. We should throw the biggest parties. I love this, this verse in Psalm 8 where it says, the heavens are the work of God's fingers. Now you think about creation and all the universe and all the stars and all the beauty of our planet and all that, and it's the work of his fingers. Fingers. And you know what the Bible says is the work of God's strong and mighty right arm? Salvation. Let's get some perspective on what God calls his greatest work. Redemption is his greatest work, so we give the greatest parties for it. Okay, the parable of the lost coins. Some things that are noteworthy in here. We'll fly through this, and then we'll jump into the prodigal son because it's going to take us until Friday to finish it. All right, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, what's no, what, what, here's some things that are noteworthy in this. This is, this is really kind of neat. Jesus made a woman the central figure in his illustration. Now, in doing that, um, what it does is Jesus is showing his inclusivity, 
versus the religious leader's exclusivity. Remember, Jesus levels the playing field. Everybody's welcome. So we, well, that's a noteworthy thing. Um, the, the parable talks about lighting a lamp. The woman lit a lamp. Light has to be brought into dark places to find lost things. Do you go to, lost, do you, do you go to dark places to find some lost things? You know you got light in you, right? I mean, John chapter 1 tells us that we have light in us, right? Through spirit, right? Do you realize a dark world, some dark neighborhoods, some people that are living in darkness need the light that you have? Please don't keep that light to yourself. Let's not just be shining our flashlights on each other all the time. I got light, right? Your light encourages me, but you know what? Let's get our lights and go to a dark place together. Let's do that, okay? Um, Sweep the house. Listen, there's work to be done. It takes work to find lost things. It's hard. Um, There's dirt to get out of the way. Can you look past the exteriors of people? Because some of these people that are lost aren't attractive. They don't smell right sometimes. They're dirty. The way they talk is rough. Can you look past that stuff and see a lost soul, dark soul in there that needs your light and needs to be found? Can we do that? Search diligently. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up. Be persistent. Sometimes it takes time after time after time. And let me tell you this, too. You may, again, it's not about us, right? You could witness to somebody 12 times. And then some person you don't even know, they don't even know, comes up to them on the street, tells them about Jesus, and boom, the, the, the deal's done there. Should you get offended? Should I get offended with that? Well, I wanted to do that. No, we celebrate. We take joy in that. But don't give up. And the biggest point, again, is celebration and what God and all of heaven takes joy in, the repentance and salvation of a sinner. This is the thread that runs through all the parables. Okay. You guys good? All right. Let's do the last parable. We're going to start at verse 11, and we're going to read all the way through 32. We're just going to tell the story, okay? Let's tell the story. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Great story. So we look at this section. So I, put my no- I sent my notes into the office for them to type you up, and I get a call from Tara, and she's like, uh, you wrote down the prodigal father for this section. Is that a mistake? I said, no. It's not. It's not. Because what does prodigal mean? I was talking to my daughter in college the other day, uh, yesterday, uh, and I was talking about this, and I said, Hannah, what does prodigal mean? What do you think it means? She's like, oh, gosh, I don't know. I think um, it means like maybe someone like who's, who's lost and who's kind of wild and crazy. And I said, yeah, that's what most people think prodigal means. But that's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means, and I'm kind of reducing it here, but you can look it up on your own. Prodigal means lavishly extravagant spending. Lavishly extravagant spending. Now, negatively used, it certainly applies to the younger son. Certainly does. Positively used, this also applies greatly to the father in the story. Here's why. Here's why. What's this third parable? Who is it primarily about? Okay, we have one vote for the second son, the father. This third parable, listen, um, you know God's word is inspired, right, by the Holy Spirit, and you understand that the big numbers and the little numbers and the subject headings in your Bible are not inspired, right? That's a publisher, right? Right? Listen, this, this parable, I think in many ways, has been wrongly titled the prodigal son. This is really about a prodigal father is what this is about. The father is the main character in the story, not the younger son. You see, and here's what we learn about the father. The father it willingly gave the younger son his inheritance that was due to him upon the father's death. Here's what this means. When this younger son came to the father, the son was basically saying, I don't want anything to do with you or this family. I'm going to treat you as as if you are dead to me, so give me my inheritance now. That's what the son was asking of the father. And in the face of that, the father willingly gave it. That's a prodigal father. And then after the son came to his senses, which is one of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible, right? I mean, those of us who have been caught up in sin, isn't it a glorious moment when we come to our senses and we repent and the Father forgives, right? So when that happened, the Father extravagantly welcomed the son home. The Father threw off you know, all of his properness, hiked up his tunic and took off down the road, wrapped him up, kissed him, bring the robe, bring the fattened calf, give him the ring. That's an extravagant welcome home, isn't it? For a son who said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And then the father threw a lavish party to celebrate the return and the new life of his formerly dead, lost son. You see, this is a prodigal father, an extravagant father, a lavish father spending all that he has on this son. 
that was dead and lost. Isn't that amazing? So let's, I mean, let's look at some character things of this father. Verse 12. Let's just fly through this. Verse 12, we see part of the character of the father is generous. We see in verse 20, uh, part of the character of the father is compassionate. Also in verse 20, this welcoming character of the father, which sounds a lot like Jesus receiving the sinners and eating with them, doesn't it? You know, through verses 22 through 24, the character of the father was celebratory. Hey, there is a party to be had for a really good reason. So we're going to celebrate, quick to celebrate. Also in that section, verses 22 through 24, you see the father, he is focused on the good happening now, not the wrong happened in the past. Let's be honest, how many people have a trouble letting go of wrong things in the past that you've done or that someone's done to you? Am I the only one raising my hand? Come on, people. Thank you. Yeah, man, this is a lesson we need, isn't it? Man, there is good things going on now. Let's not let the past keep dragging us down. And then in verse 31, he's gracious. Man, he dealt graciously with that older son. Graciously with him. So, um, do we have time for this? Sure we have time for this. Uh, maybe we don't have time for this. So, I was going to do some questions, but well, let's do it anyway. Let's do it anyway. So, what are some similarities from the first two parables to this parable? Okay? There are a few things that are similar. What are some similarities that you guys have noticed tonight between the first two, the sheep and the coin, and the third parable? So what are some things you saw that were the same? What's that? Okay, so something was lost and something was found. Anything else? There was a huge celebration. The similarities kind of end there, right? Something was lost, something was found, there was a big celebration. What are the differences that we find between the first two parables and the third parable? The father didn't go out to seek the son. Isn't that interesting? We could be here all night if we're going to talk about that. But yeah, no, that's a, bit, that's, that's a key difference. What's another difference? Yeah, yeah, so there was, there was another character in the story, right? Yeah, um, which kind of says this third one is actually it's relational in nature, isn't it? The, the first two things were about wealth and property, sheep and coins, right? This has to do with relationships, which, which I think it helps us learn a little bit more, okay, why the father didn't go see. There's some, rela- I mean, there's some things in there that we can look at, but there's one more that Andy was getting close to. It. There's one more difference. Okay. Yep. So this. So in this instance, the son was able to come back, but that's not like where I'm. That's true, but that's not where I'm going. There is one more key difference. Yeah. So let's look at it this way. In the first parable, there was one thing lost. Right. Uh. Sheep. Second parable, there was one thing lost, a coin. Third parable, there's two things lost. A younger son and an older son. There's two things lost in this parable. So, um, we need to keep in mind, who is Jesus telling these parables to? Who's his audience? Who's the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, that's his audience, right? Charlie, you're, you're catching on to me, aren't you? We need to keep his audience in mind. As morally upright and devout as they were, they were just as far from God as the tax collector and the sinner that they were grumbling about. Just as far from God. You see, there's two ways to be lost. The first way to be lost is this is sinful. Our typical understanding of being lost, right? This is illustrated by the younger son. He was licentious. He didn't answer to anybody. Only thing he followed was his own passions and desires. 
The younger son was demanding, he was self-indulgent, and he was entitled. That's pretty much kind of our common understanding of what we think of sinners, right? The second way to be lost is to be religious. And this is illustrated by the older son. You see, this is the legalist. This is the rule-following person, person concerned with projecting a righteous image. They are dutiful for duty's sake. They adhere strictly to tradition. There is no love that is motivating their lives. And what was the older son like? He was angry. He was resentful. He was unforgiving. He was full of self-pity. I have done all this. Why haven't you ever done this for me? Two ways to be lost. This sinful way and this religious way. You see, Jesus is clearly communicating that the younger son is the tax collectors and the sinners. That the father is waiting with open arms to receive. Running down the path when he sees them. Jesus is also clearly communicating that the older son are the religious leaders who are absolutely missing the love that has been around them all the time. And now Jesus' words from the Sermon of the Mount haunt our minds, right? There will be many in that day that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Listen, this love that God has, man, there's plenty for everybody. Sinner and religious alike. This love comes from a compassionate and generous father who shares everything with his children. You don't need to impress God or anybody else. You really don't. Let's stop trying to do that. In light of all this love, what is there to grumble about? I mean, really. Um, you should have gotten two pieces of paper tonight. One had notes and one had like some take-home questions. So all of Scripture, these parables in particular, they should give us pause to consider our lives. You see, um, we need to allow the Scripture to read us is what we need to do. We need to allow the Scripture to read us. And in doing so, I, I've, I've given you guys some application questions that I want you to really kind of work through this week. I mean, I mean do, some, do some good. We've done some good Bible study tonight, right? Do some good. Now, let's take these truths and let's do some good application of the truth that we've learned. So, you know, am I drawn to Jesus and his words because they're the only source for life and hope? And are people drawn to me because I'm trying to model humility and acceptance like Jesus did for me? Right? You ask, do, do you have a judgmental attitude towards sinners? Do you struggle with that? You know, do you diligently seek and search out those who are lost? Do, do you, do you, are you diligent with that like the woman in the story was? Do you celebrate the redemptive work of God in extravagant ways? Are you, can you be a, can you be a prodigal celebrator? <laughs> right? Do, do you tend to abuse the love and grace of the Father like the younger son? You know, you know yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to do this anyway. That's what grace is for. Do, do, you, do you play those games in your mind? Do you tend to rely on your religious appearance and activity for your place to feel secured in God's family? This last one, what is one thing you can do this week to seek out and extravagantly love someone who is lost? And who is that person? Right? We're praying, right? You know who? How can you extravagantly love them? Okay? Hey, why don't you all stand up? Come on down here. We, you know, we like to... This is, this is a way that we make the big room small. And maybe as we were going through God's Word tonight, man, maybe the Holy Spirit kind of laid something on your hearts. 
um, that you would feel would be uh, a benefit, you know, for the body to hear. You know, maybe God's given you a word for us. Um, so let's just start off with that. Is there anyone that has something that really struck them like they, they would like to encourage us all with? And I have a microphone for you, even. What, what, what's God been telling you tonight? Be more diligent in seeking the lost. Yeah? Yeah, be reminded of how diligent God was in seeking you, right? And the people he put in your life to help that process. Yeah. Don't let our religiosity get in the way. That's right. That's prideful. No, that's the old board. It's yeah, that'll, that'll push people away. That won't attract people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so let's not let our appearance push people away, and let's not let other people's appearance push us away. Let's look through that. That's good. That's good. That's good. Anybody have a prayer request or a praise they want to share? Yeah? Tell us about that walking miracle. Okay, so she had a stroke. Yep. And, and up and walking and walking around. I told you I'd have a mic and I've been holding on to it. Oh. Paul's like waving his hand at me. That's a great st- Yeah, that amen to that. Man, great thing to celebrate. Anything else? Prayer, praise? I'm going to remember the microphone this time. You cool, you cool with that? Um, this morning we just found out, me and my wife just found out, um, our best friend, his name is Rome, uh, in Chicago. Uh, his oldest son was just sitting in a room, and they found out that uh, I think one of his friends walked in and just found him dead. Uh, they don't know what the cause was. They just know that they just walked in the room, and he was just dead. And uh, my wife called me. We were just having a conversation, just a joyful morning, just speaking about God and five minutes later she's pouring in tears and praying you know so um keep him in prayers his mom uh his uh ex-wife is really because she just lost her uh her stepdad five days ago and now her son is gone and so this was like back to back so be praying for them that god may um comfort them uh in this in this time of mourning so yeah, oh, for sure. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord together, okay? Father God, we come before you, and uh, man, we hear a story like that that Delante just shared, and we just pray that you're with that family, that you bring comfort to them, uh, that you would use Delante and uh, Renetta in them as part of that uh, process to bring uh, hope and comfort to that family. And, and I don't know where they stand with you, Lord, but, but the, you would, uh, the, we trust that you would do what these parables are telling and that you are sweeping out that life and you are going to bring salvation into a family through this. But just pray for comfort for them. Lord, we take joy in, in how you bring healing to people. Man, and how there doesn't have to be things like strokes that are too big for you. And Father, we, we just are so thankful for your word and these stories that we get to read that your son told. And we get to remember who we are and how we have been found. And how we were once dead but are now alive in you. And Lord, we celebrate that. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your strong work of redemption. Lord, help us to live like you. And now go find people, seek out people diligently that are lost, that have wandered away, that are living recklessly, that are living religiously. 
Lord, and we just flood them with your grace and with your mercy and with your truth and with compassion. Lord, help us to be attractive like Jesus. Help us, Lord. Man, we love you so much. We are so thankful for this church family that you have given us. We are so thankful to hear stories of how you are moving that encourage us. Lord, and you have given us great work to do. And we gladly accept the work that you give us because, God, you give us all we need to do it. This work primarily of joining you to seek and to save those who are lost. We love you, and we pray this all in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. All right, hey, love you guys. You guys have a great night.